Episode 59, Fractured Skulls. Terminator traveling alongside my good pal, Monoxide. And it's September 19, 2021, and it's past midnight. How, did, how are you doing on this fine evening, sir? I am liberated because it's almost 1 o'clock. I'm here. I got my feet up, pressed up against some books. I don't know why I feel so fucking comfortable right now, but I just feel good right now. You feel good. And I hear a cat outside. Ah, maybe, hopefully he's not a black cat. Uh, did you just assume the cat's gender? I, I, I'm just saying. Hopefully, you know, it's not a black cat, you don't want bad luck. Well, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's Gabriel. Maybe it is. Because we're going to be talking about Gabriel later in our review. But before we get to that review, I just got some news topics to cover real quick. We're going to get through it real quick before we get to our today's film discussion. First things first, VHS 94 is coming on October 6, 2021, exclusively available for Shudder. So for anybody that has a Shudder app, you'll be getting that film on there on October 6. And we've reviewed the first three VHS films on this podcast, which you can go back and listen to right now on Patreon.com. Slash Just Chill Network for just one dollar, and um, I I know we're doing the Halloween films for October, but um, I don't know. We may have to squeeze in a bonus episode to review VHS ninety four. Do we? Do we have to? Why not? Like, is is somebody putting a gun to our heads to have to review this film? <laughs> like, is somebody got a Glock to our fucking skulls telling us? review this film or your lives are going to be squandered well the good thing is one of the directors from vhs2 that directed that uh indonesian cult is going to be returning to direct a segment i mean i guess but all those movies had like separate stories and if he's the only good director on here and then there's going to be how many stories on this vhs movie who knows? Listen, the last one didn't do anything. It didn't work for me, brother. Uh, so we'll have to see with this one. But it's VHS, to- I was gonna say the VHS movies are hit and miss with me. There's certain stories that are really good, and then there's just like a bunch of them that are just like a stinker. So like with one good story you got about three or four bad ones not just that um yeah the vhs movies have been hit missed with me as well um anthology films can be a challenge to do because they're short stories you just hope all these short stories are good because they can really make or break a movie and and what's worse is that or to say what really makes it a challenge is that it's a found footage film it's a found footage series and as of late they really haven't been that good I can't, I can't, I can't really name the last recent found footage film I really enjoyed. Well, how many found footage films have been great? I mean, you got Blair Witch. I mean, that's the easy answer. Yeah, one. Um, I, I enjoyed Cloverfield. I'd have to watch Cloverfield, but... I'm pretty sure maybe there's like two or three other, no, at least one or two other movies I've liked are found footage I'm not thinking of right now, but... For the most part, I really don't care for them. I mean, I know we've had the film host. Uh, what's the other one you show me? Unfollowed. 
Our unfriended. Oh, yeah, folks. I remember that one. Wasn't that the one where um somebody was doing a uh, an online thing where they they were in the hotel? Yeah, the one we reviewed. I think that was up. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. That one was pretty entertaining. That one wasn't too bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, it's not really. That's only a handful we just named that we could pick that you know at least were passable. I have to sit down now and look through my episode guide just to see what movies we reviewed because some of them are lost on me now. Yeah, at least that's the only one I found footage film that I've known we've done outside the VHS movies. And Blair Witch. And Blair Witch. Do Blair Witch. Yeah. But again, but besides those films, I, eh, it's, 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 a, it's a tough, it's really a tough, I guess, category to kind of really pull off really well. Yeah, because you're limited to what you can do. In fact, I mean, some people don't let that uh, limit bother them. Uh, one movie I guess we can do at some point. Well, there's two of them. Grave Encounters. That's a found footage film. We can mm-hmm. review at some point. Uh, those were hit and miss depending on how you look at it. But um, I'll have to find out where we can watch those. What app? I know, oh. just put them up right now. The first uh, Grave Encounters. Yeah, there's two of them. Yeah, they're, they're both up there. Okay, yeah. So, maybe we can watch those next. Oh, yeah, I'll be interested. Again, I've never seen those movies, so, you know, I'm always open to watch new things. But, for VHS 4, uh, October 6, 2021, hopefully this one delivers, can at least be on par with the second one, because I thought the second one, second VHS film was the best one. We'll just see what happens. And our second and last news story. Again, not much this week we wanted to cover. Uh, Christopher Nolan exits Warner Brothers after nearly two decades of making movies for them. He's been making movies for Warner Brothers since 2002 with Insomnia. All the way till uh, Tenet. And that includes the uh, the Batman films, which is what he's mostly known for. And he's made, he's made Warner Brothers over a billion dollars in the box office. So it's really shocking that he left them because he practically he has a studio in his pocket whatever movie he wants to make the studio's like yeah chris make whatever you want here here's the money take it go make something it's not gonna make sense to us but it's gonna make us money so we don't care yeah he also did inception he did inception yeah that's as i mentioned and he most recently did tenant which is another one of those like confusing mind-bending films but again the studio doesn't care as long as they make the money and one of the main reasons that led to him having a fallout with uh, the studio was the, the whole HBO Max thing. Because, um, obviously, with the pandemic, um, HBO Max decided to put all the newly released films the same day on uh, on their app. And, of course, doing that, you lose money. You know, and Christopher Nolan didn't like that at all because he feels like, you know, we make, the, we make these movies specifically to be on the big screen a lot of uh actors directors and you know writers everyone involved puts their hearts and souls into these projects for it to be on the big screen not for it to be on some app yeah when it comes to the these apps it really starts to get you to wonder how you can pay these people accordingly because that was the one thing that when the WWE Network first came out. Before the WWE Network, there were pay-per-views. There's still pay-per-views. Back in the day, the pay-per-views were like, what was it, 40, 50 bucks each pay-per-view. So think about paying 50 bucks a month for a pay-per-view if you want to keep in tune with what's going on. But then 
the network came out and it was a $9.99 monthly for all these shows plus the pay-per-views. So it kind of killed that incentive. So it looks like everybody's following suit, kind of, because like now you got all these different apps that are charging $10 a month and you get all this. And now with, like you said, with the pandemic, new movies are heading straight to these apps for a short period of time. So it prohibits a guy like Christopher Nolan to be able to break a billion dollars in box office because why go to the movie theater when you can watch it at home? Certain movies I wouldn't do that with. I mean, it's been a minute since I've been to a movie theater. I would love to engage into a movie theater again with the wife at some point. Just got to find a movie that we would actually want to uh, invest our time in to want to leave our homes to go see. But in the end, yeah, I could see where he he, he could be frustrated. Um, as far as the whole back pocket thing with HBO, I'm not sure if I brought this up in a podcast, but it reminds me of a urban legend that came out with Steven Spielberg, where, yes, Steven Spielberg has Universal in his back pocket because there was the rumor where the E.T. ride that's in Florida it's the last ET ride known because the one in California closed, the one in Japan closed. And in Florida, ET is the only ride in that park that is still operating from opening day. So every ride that was there on opening day from 1990 is gone. ET is the only one left. And they were thinking about removing it for, originally it was like a Smurfs ride first, then I heard Nintendo was going to be put in that area or whatever. But there's that rumor that Steven Spielberg basically said, if you get rid of this ride, then I'm, I'm fucking, I'm peacing out, deuces. And you're going to have to deal with me having to take Jurassic Park with me because I think he had big involvement in that. Jurassic Park and any characters for uh, DreamWorks since he started that company yeah and uh universal just opened up a new velocicoaster based off of jurassic park so i don't think they want to piss steven spielberg off um so that ride is there to stay that's if that rumor is true i don't know how true it is but <clears throat> if it is true then that et ride is here to stay as long as steven spielberg is alive so maybe this is the case here like um I don't know. In this case, obviously, Nolan never threatened them prior, saying, oh, if you do this, then I'm leaving. They just did it, and then he left. You know, Christopher um, Nolan's a big name. You know all the studios are going to want to go after him to basically to give him, let him do whatever he wants. And he did land a spot with uh, Universal. Apparently, his next film, I don't know what it's going to be about. I think it's supposed to be a biography about J. Robert uh, Oppenheimer, who was involved around uh, the development of the atom bomb. So, so I'm assuming it's going to be a biopic. And the only actor that might be confirmed is Cillian Murphy, who, of course, he's worked with in the Dark Knight movies. He was Scarecrow. He was also in Inception as well. And Inception, yeah. So uh, and apparently his demands is that he wants 100 million bucks for the budget of the film. He wants another 100 million for advertisement of the movie. And he wants full creative control. You think they'll give it to him? Yeah. 
He's a, he's a very well-known name. He's made money. Again, the, he's made a Batman film. That just, that movie alone, what was it Dark Knight? At you over a billion? Yeah, it was the fourth highest grossing film of all in the U.S. at one point. I don't know if it still holds that record today. But yeah, he has he has a resume to back it up. They'll give it to him. It's not like he's piss poor quality either. He's made quality films. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so it's not Michael Bay or anything. Yeah, um, and honestly, with this whole the streaming service thing, he's not the first guy to have issues when it comes to streaming. I mean, we can't forget Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit with Disney about them putting the movie up on the app, and it, and it ruined um, her percentage of what she was supposed to get from the film. Uh, of course, we mentioned Steven Spielberg. I mean, we mentioned his issues about Netflix and about the films, you know, those movies being an Academy nomination. So it's just another example of, you know, these... Uh, I guess these Hollywood directors, actors, is you know having issues with the service, and I think again, I just think at the end of the day, it just comes down to money and percentages and what everyone's supposed to make. And you know, when HBO Max announced that all these movies, oh yeah, they're going to be on the uh, streaming service, it just it throws a curveball for everyone else. I mean, the, I mean, Lionsgate had an issue with uh, the Godzilla versus King Kong movie because it's like, how are we going to get our cut? You know, this is if you're going to put on the app and in the movie theaters at the same time and no one goes to see the movie, go, no one goes to see the theaters because it's on the app. Why leave home? Or, yeah, why leave home? You can watch it around your living room. How are we supposed to make our cut? Yeah, you're basically asking out all the people that basically busted their ass to make this product for you. Is it convenient for the customer? Yeah, it's convenient for the customer, but it's not convenient for the people that are trying to please the customer. It's like, I, I don't know. Um because part of the problem is that the movie theaters don't give any incentive for you to come. They make the tickets super expensive. I can only speak from my experiences at the theaters. They don't do really enough incentive to get rid of unruly people, unless they're really, really, really unruly. I'm talking like they're fucking running around the, the movie theater or screaming off the top of their lungs. but. People who are talking or people who are just laughing hysterically during lines that are not even funny. So it's kind of like, why do that? Like, why, why leave my house and go to a movie theater having to pay $15 for a ticket? Um, I'd have to look at my wife right now and try and figure out how much... The last time we went to a movie, I think literally the last time we went to see a movie was Deadpool 2. That's how far back we're going here. And how much we spent on just the ticket to get in for two of us, the tub of popcorn that we had to pay, plus our drinks. And then the worst part about it is, here's another uh, feature that people don't realize that the app has over the movie theater, okay? One time I went to go see Creed, the first Creed movie. Now, knowing my dumbass, oh, by the way, before I even tell this story, Aunt Anthony Gangone, if you're listening to this, shut it off now or skip ahead. You'll know what I mean in a second. So I'm in the movie theater and I get the tub of popcorn and I get the cherry Coke and all that. And I'm eating and drinking. And uh, Willie Jones, the Willie Jones in me starts kicking in. The, oh, officer, I, I, pull over, please. I gotta, I, I gotta go, I gotta, I gotta go too. So 
I get that moment and I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go to the bathroom and it's, it's number two. Well, the point I'm trying to make here is that when I leave the theater and I gotta go to the bathroom, that fucking movie's still going. It's not, it's not gonna stop for me. It's gonna continue playing for the other people that are watching. Now, at home, if I'm watching a brand new movie and I have that same exact experience, I can just pause the damn thing, run to the bathroom, take care of my business, and then come back and start where I left off. It's the other problem. On top of that, you can create uh, surround sound in your own home, depending on what type of speakers you got. I remember at one point, my parents had built, had these speakers kind of built in like surround sound. My wife and I watched Jurassic Park to test it out wasn't like the movie theater to a T, but it was it sufficed enough yeah save you the convenience you save money too because you're not paying popcorn juice or even uh uh transportation to get there yeah unless it's, it's walking distance yeah so i can understand the customer wanted it more convenient for themselves but at the same time like it needs to to give the customer what they want you can't sacrifice the pay of this person that's putting their blood sweat and tears to make sure that customer is satisfied well it's it's definitely an issue that uh hollywood's facing now with all these apps and how they do i mean and on top of that i also know that the new halloween movie is going to be available the same day on peacock yeah so what's the incentive to go into the theater i mean it's Unless tickets were cheap, the only thing they've done differently recently is that they've made recliner seats. So it's a lot more comfortable to sit down and watch the movie in the theater. That That is definitely a plus. So give it that. Recliners. Woo! I gotta give it that. Those recliners are freaking nice. Having a cherry Coke or a Dr. Pepper with popcorn. Oh, boy. That is match made in heaven for I understand why studios do this because you don't want another James Bond situation in your hands. I mean, look what happened with MGM. No Time to Die is the movie that, that basically bankrupted them. Because they kept, because the pandemic happened, they kept pushing the movie back. And they kept pushing the movie back. And the more you push it back, you got to spend more money to promote it. To let people know, oh yeah, it's pushed back to this date. Until you change it again. And then you got to spend even more money to let people know that it's been pushed back to this specific date. To the point the studio needed to make at least $600 million just to just to break even. Well, that company could be at full. You, you said this was during the pandemic. They kept pushing it back, right? Yeah. Well, they should have just suspended it until further notice. Why did they keep pushing it back not knowing where we were going to be? Well, because no at the time we didn't know how long this pandemic was going to last. Exactly. So they should have just held off until further notice. Yeah, well, I mean, again, they still got to suspend it. Suspend it. They still got to yeah, spend more money and advertise it to let people know when it's going to come back. Right. But they could have spent it only one time as opposed to what you said, which was several times and then keep pushing it back. Now, what if you do that and then all the hype is basically dead by that point? It finally comes back to the point nobody well, wants that, to see That's a different issue entirely, but... And so it was bad to the point they try to sell the movie for distribution to certain apps, and and Netflix is only going to pay. And Netflix's offer was three hundred million. Netflix is the number one movie app. No other app is going to outbid Netflix. 
and 300 million was just not enough. MGM needed at least 600 million, double that. And there's no way Netflix was going to was going to pay that. So Netflix was going to do it, nobody else was going to do it. So they were fucked. But it's going to supposed to be coming out next month, so I mean, they're just going to they just have to cut their losses, unfortunately. And I mean, well, there's no more MGM now, it's under Amazon, so yeah. Can I say uh, it's it's a precarious situation. Hopefully, there's a resolution down the line somewhere. It is what it is. It's something that you know the Hollywood still got to figure out how they're going to work this into uh, into everyone's contracts in the foreseeable future. Yep. And with that said, before we get to today's film discussion, Patreon.com/slash/TheChillNetwork for one dollar, one dollar, you get full access to well to this episode. Well, in fact, you don't need to pay dollars. This episode is going to be for free because it's a brand new movie, and we're and we're so nice. We're going to put this episode out for free on all audio platforms but if you want to listen to any more episodes and of our password patreon.com slash just chilling network for one dollar you get full access to all those episodes we're on instagram at just chilling network we're on twitter at just chilling net you can find us on facebook at just chilling network you can follow monoxide at monoxide youtube on twitter and at owen underscore heart underscore guy at instagram I myself am on Twitter and Instagram at Silent Poison. With that said, we're going to get into today's film discussion. And that is the 2021 James Wan directed film Malignant. It stars Annabelle Wallace, Maddie Hassan, George Young. It was released... uh, on HBO Max and in theaters uh, just a few weeks, just two weeks ago. Check it out because I recommend this movie. And we're going to dive into James Wan's Malignant. I'm assuming we're going to approach this film from two different aspects, from two looks, two faces. Front yes. line. We're going to be a bunch of Harvey Dents right now. Yeah, we're uh, spoilers. Let's talk about Malignant. Are you a James Wan fan by any chance? I wouldn't know, to be honest. Direct, uh, I'll just list you his film. He directed Saw. He directed the first two Conjuring films. He directed Insidious. I think he did part two as well. He directed uh, Death Sentence with Kevin Bacon. Just basically. So wait a minute. I've actually seen a good chunk of his films then. Yes. And I know he directed one of the Fast and Furious movies as well. And he directed Aquaman. So you said Saw. Did he direct all of them or just the first one? Just the first one. All right. The first one was fine. Conjuring, I saw years ago, and I remember it being the drizzling shits. <laughs> and Insidious, oh, that, that didn't just drizzle shits. That fucking sprinkled shits. I, based on that thought, the guy has talent, but he doesn't. He, he harpens his talent by adding shit that's unnecessary. Because I remember Insidious, the problem I had with that film was that it started off looking like an actual original piece and looked very promising. And then it just turned into a fucking poltergeist clone that wasn't anywhere close to good. Um, just became stupid and ridiculous. So... When introduced to this film, I was like, what, what, what's with this film? So, um, to me, this film was hit and miss. There was a lot of good that I liked. 
there were some things that just left me just left unanswered. Maybe you can fill in this gap. So here, here's what I gather from this film. So it's about this Gabriel, as we were mentioning earlier, who is locked inside a psychiatric home, if you will. And he's getting too powerful to the point where he's killing everybody in the medical field. And he just slaughters everyone to the point where the woman says, we got to remove the tumor. And he just leaves it at that. So one thing I do like is that they gave you a little sprinkle of something. But then they get right into the cancer. Yeah, they don't they don't give you everything. They give you a little bit of something. Because then you're going to fill in the gaps later. It's that Quentin Tarantino type of deal. Or Vince Gilligan type of deal when he did Breaking Bad. Specifically season two. When you saw every episode. It started with that bear in the pool. And you, you get like a little bit more. But then it would just like disappear. And you would be like, what the fuck is that? And by the end of the season, you figured out. Oh, that was the bear from the plane that crashed. After, you know. So... Now, throughout this movie, this woman, to give the synopsis, is it follows this woman who starts to see visually, like as if she's there, an individual that's killing all these people in the most violent ways. But you're trying to figure out why. Why is she able to see these visions, thinking that it was just her imagination and come to find out this is really happening? Uh, should we get into the spoilers to why or do you want to talk about some stuff uh, i just want to bring up some of the backs just like behind the scenes stuff real quick to the film go ahead um this was uh distributed by warner brothers um james wan seems to have a pretty good relationship with them uh we mentioned all the films he just directed aquaman i think made a billion dollars even at the box office so i never thought any of his films were great i thought his films were fine they were passable for what they were. Um, I guess his only real stinker was probably Dead Silence. This film, he was given story credit for this. He had two other writers with him. One of them being his wife, uh, Ingrid Bisou, who was also in the film. She was one of the CSI agents. She was the one with the glasses that was kind of like kidding on the male cop. That's uh, Juan. That's Juan's wife. I think they just got married, I think, last year. Last year or the year before, around that time. And the other writer is someone by the name of Akela Cooper, who was really... She was given the... She was she was given story credit. Story credit was her, the wife, and Juan. But when they had the screenplay, she wrote the screenplay. She basically put everything together into the story. I did some re I was I was just, you know, look it up, you know, see what else she's done. She's done a lot of television. And what she's done like Luke Cage, a lot of all these, you know, television projects. So so and she, now she finally had the opportunity to, I guess, write a big movie. It's funny because you see with a Juan film, when you watch this movie. It feels like the house, the house sets look like recycled house sets from his previous films, like Conjuring, Insidious, because they're always dark, they're always smoky. Every time you go out, like there's a shot of the house outside, there's smoke. Why the hell is there smoke I saw the house in this movie? The house is not haunted. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's the other thing. It's like, it's not about a house, it's about... A deranged killer that's able to communicate telepathically. Maybe. And 
trying to give off the idea that it might be a haunted house. Maybe it was trying to swerve the audience. I don't know. The one thing that was annoying me throughout the film was the overabundance of freaking music. Like, God, the music and, and the music choice that he used or whoever selected the music was just like, this is an overkill. The, the music he used in the opening credits reminded me a lot of Resident Evil. It kind of had like that early 2000s hard rock to it. Yeah, hard rock slash techno slash dubstep or whatever the hell i don't know what this was and we're talking about even scenes where it was building up to a tense moment it was just it was too much to me and and not good music is what i'm saying it just felt over exaggerated so should we get into like where this all plants in yeah okay so the main character the main female uh her original name was Emily, but what was the replacement name she was given? Uh, Madison. Madison. So Madison realizes that she had a suppressed memory when she was Emily from a previous pa uh, pair of parents. Because she found out she was adopted. And her adopted mother said that you were talking to this kid named Gabriel. But once you we had your sister... Gabriel kind of went away. They try to dig deeper into who this Gabriel person is. And more and more you just keep digging and you're wondering, what the fuck was that first scene all about? Because you keep hearing Gabriel. And there's one part in particular where Gabriel shoots at one of the detectives, the main cop. And he chases Gabriel all across town. And Gabriel is able to like do some real fanatic shit and he gets away so you really wondered who this gabriel person is and how this gabriel person gets so strong and is so slick and everything in that whole nine yards and it builds and builds until you finally realize that the lie was the stepmother thought that the daughter that she adopted madison or emily the mother died while giving birth but what had happened was, was that she was raped and she gave the child up to this service, whatever. So now she's pissed that the, the adoptive mother's pissed that they lied to her. So what happens is, is that they discover that Gabriel was a cancerous tumor that was attached to the back of Emily's head. And somehow this cancerous tumor was like feeding off of Emily to be able to operate, to be able to breathe, think, speak. Now, eventually that's where it ties in to the beginning of the film where we got to cut this thing out. The thing is they don't cut him out. They kind of cut enough to where they can suppress him because then it's revealed the way that he was able to come back is that in the beginning of the film, uh, Madison's shown pregnant and she's with her then husband and the husband pushes her up against the wall and her head bangs where Gabriel is and that's how Gabriel comes out. And it's also said that the babies that she kept getting herself impregnated with were being devoured by Gabriel so that he can feed off, blah, blah, blah. 
So now you know who Gabriel is, and now you know that Gabriel was using Madison to be able to kill everybody. So now it's the big killing spree, blah, blah, blah. What's never, maybe it was explained and I missed it, but how does Gabriel got such technique that he's so <laughs> strong that he's able to fucking just kill a whole police squad and slide through everything? Like this tumor has no capabilities whatsoever of separating itself from Madison, but it can fucking take Madison and do all these supernatural things. So, you know, I was when I was watching this movie, I thought to myself, was this meant to be a comedy? Like, was that his intent? Or did it just accidentally come off that way? Because I don't think Juan was trying to make a horror movie. He was trying to do something different here. Uh, and, you know, in the way they had the killer, the killer was wearing, like, the black leather, the black lace gloves with a knife. It reminded me a lot of, like, those old-school Gualo films from, like, the 70s, like Argento. Where the killer always wears like the black lace. Uh, you have the camera shots, the sets. Uh, maybe this was his nod to that. I didn't know James Wan was into those kind of movies. Because I, I, James Wan never came off as like a throwback director to me, at least. So I thought that was that was an interesting choice that he made there. Um, secondly, the swerve that uh, Gabriel is basically. So I, you would assume that uh, Emma Emily was. I guess like a Siamese twin in a way, in some fucked up way. Since Gabriel, because they were born like this. Yes. Since uh, she said her mother, I believe, was raped by her father when she was only like a teenager. Which, so, keep in mind, there that's the only mention of the father. Like the father never shows up or anything like that. We don't know for sure if this father may have had some supernatural powers that he shot into this woman that, whatever. <laughs> I, I don't I don't I I don't think so. My my theory is just you know family a father fucking his daughter. Of course you know your child's gonna have problems. And since this is the world of horror, you can add your own spin to it. You can make it over the top. You can make it ridiculous. And that's basically what we got here. So the mother donated her or basically sold or donated her child to this hospital. And the doctor's not an evil woman. I mean because she specializes in separating kids, separating Siamese kids. Yeah. So, of course, she she took on the challenge. Of course, you know, it was way more crazy than it turned out to be. So what they did is, as you mentioned, they try to cut out as much of Gabriel as much of Gabriel away from Emily as they can. But they couldn't cut him out completely because I think his face is like part of her brain. So you can't cut that out. They kind of cut around it and then they just shoved the rest of it and like in her head and then just sealed it up with the, you know, with the skull. Not only that, they never explained why Gabriel was so fucking mad in the first place that he went on a killing spree that I can remember. Well, he was mad because he was locked away. No, before that, even when he was a tumor, he was killing fucking people left and right. What, what confused me with Gabriel is how he was able to communicate through, like, the radios and, like, cell phones. Mm-hmm. That was, that was never explained. That, and that was his only form of communication, but yet at the very end, he was able to communicate with her sister without any sort of uh, device. Well, because he was still locked in the back of her head when he was communicating through the radio and the phone. Like, because by, uh, by, by the end of the movie, he was all out. He was out of the skull, I guess. You could no, that's, that's not true, because 
in the very first scene, when he's still a tumor, when they announce we got to cut her out, he used the radio to communicate. This was yeah. when he was still a tumor and before he got cut out or oppressed in her brain. So he still needed radio broadcasting to be able to talk. But yet he was able to talk to her sister without any radio communication. Was this, this was in the beginning of the opening scene. Yeah, when he's still a tumor, before they cut her out, because the first scene is to establish that their uh, Gabriel is on a killing spree, and they and she says we got to cut out the tumor. The reason they leave that scene is so that later on they can tell you Gabriel was the tumor. But in that scene, that's where he uses that radio to communicate, and it gives you that idea Gabriel needs that to communicate with anybody. My only guess would be that he was just so pissed off that that basically all his powers were like in full force. I'm sorry, that's not. I, I again, I I know it's not a good excuse. That was that's really the only that's really really my honestly that was really my only big takeaway from the movie. What the him them never explaining why he uses broadcasting to communicate? Yeah, they never explained how he got so powerful. Uh, how he learned martial arts again i think that's the comedy aspect of the movie quotations comedy because again what? that's what, what he pissed about and what who named it gabriel i what about to name the damn tumor <laughs> <laughs> what are we supposed to name a pork chop could have named it uh, i don't know uh spike i don't know that's why i said it was hit and miss because there were certain things i liked like when when gabriel like ripped itself when he used Madison to rip her own head and show himself and he finally took possession of her and she just completely destroyed everybody in the jail because keep in mind at one point the police thought Madison was killing everybody which technically she was but under the possession of Gabriel well what then, happened? well the reason it, it led to that is because um the mother that gave away Emma when she was little you find out later that she's working at a museum on the mm -hmm. underground, um, into the underground Seattle, which is an actual museum. For those that don't know, it exists. Uh, yeah. There used to be a town. Based, Seattle's basically built over another town that was once there. I think that got destroyed by, uh, I think, a, a earthquake or some storm. Something happened. Right. Okay, I remember this now. Yeah, I'm so, and I'm really amazed. A lot, not a lot of movies have really capitalized on that idea. You could really do make like a scary movie out of that setting alone. I felt they could have done they could have done more with that set, but they did a scene where Gabriel kidnaps the tourist lady that's running, and we later find out that that was the mother that gave up Emily when she was a child. Um, but she was locked in some attic where Gabriel had her uh, uh, locked up. Now, for, uh, at first we were wondering why the hell is Gabriel holding his woman hostage? What's the deal? And then later she escapes because she was kind of like hanging on like the ceiling. She escapes. She's able to break out as she's trying to get away. <laughs> She she falls through the floor. Yeah, and gets into a coma or some shit. That house has some serious termite problems, and then crashes all the way down to the living room floor where uh, Madison's living. So you find out that basically <laughs> Gabriel had her locked up in Madison's attic the whole time, and she didn't even know about it. Right. It was just the way that happened. It just felt like something out of a Three Stooges. <laughs> Just you can just imagine Curly just crashing through the through the ceiling, and, uh, through a table. The one thing I did like was the tie-ins. 
James Wan did a very good job of at least tying in certain things. I just wish he would have tied in some other things, like everything that we're questioning here. But certain tie-ins, he did a fantastic job in doing. You know, we mentioned the scene with the fighting. It kind of makes sense why they had the scene when they went to the police station. And if you look at the police station, it's this big-ass fucking room. And I'm like, why is this police station so huge? And then it makes sense later because there's going to be a fight scene there. Yeah, so they, if anything, they were foreshadowing that scene. Lots of bodies got to be flown and destroyed, you know. And I, I thought all that was fun. The whole prison scene was great. By, by the way, if you looked at some of the prisoners there, you had a woman dressed with an afro who was wearing, like, wearing the 70s outfit. You had yep. the blonde-headed girl with a mullet who looked like she just came out of an 80s trucker movie. I'm like, what the hell was going on? <laughs> I mean, to any any females out there that may have, I mean, I'm not judging, but if you've spent time, have done your time, is Jill really like that? I don't know. Something tells me that's really super exaggerated, but who knows? And the mullet lady, that was uh, Zoe Bell. She's uh, she's one of Quentin Tarantino's girls. She was um, Uma Thurman's stunt double. She's a stunt actress. She was Uma's stunt double in Kill Bill. I didn't know that. I didn't know Uma Thurman. Well, I guess, yeah. Uma Thurman would need a stunt double. On her. But... Yeah, she, she's acting all like almost all of Quentin's projects. She was in Hateful Eight. She was in uh, Once Upon a Time. She was in that scene with Bruce Lee. Oh, yeah, that's another movie checklist I gotta knock off. But, but yeah, but when it's finally revealed that Gabriel is basically, is basically part of uh, Madison or Emma, it was almost like her fucked up Siamese twin. It, just, it reminded me, like, a swerve out of Tales from the Crypt. Because that's, that's one of the things Tales from the Crypt was known for, was their twist. Especially when it came to, like, Siamese twins. See, this is the part that where I would play the robot chicken clip where uh, M. Night Shyamalan goes, What a twist! I noticed, yeah, I noticed a lot of people have also made comparisons to the film Basket Case that came out in the early 80s. I kind of had the same idea about uh, this person that had a Siamese twin connected to their hip. And um, when they would be asleep or whatever, that their Siamese twin would kind of like take over their body and get revenge on all the doctors that basically try to cut him out or put him away. Right. And this movie kind of follows, hits those same notes, but just filmed differently, of course. Different time periods, uh, different style. Yeah, so if I'm so the film ends with the big climax where he, uh, I don't know if he kills the two detectives that were involved, but he heavily injures them. It's never explained if they died or not. So they get into the hospital. At least the the guy cop died because the he threw the knife at his chest, but it didn't hit his heart. But it kind of like next soldier. But he, he looked like he was severely wounded, and then, yeah, it was never shown. He was never it, it, The way they filmed it didn't really make it clear if he died or not. Yeah. Maybe that so, was the idea. I don't know. He was just so out of the picture. They get into the hospital room where the mother is recovering, and Gabriel's about to kill the mother and the sister. Kill the sister because she's part of basically a main reason why... Madison was able to suppress Gabriel and the mother, I guess, because she's a bitch. But the mother was able to be like, I love you, Gabriel, or use her mother instincts. And it starts to work until the male cop comes in, shoots at him, and then obviously he throws the knife, as we mentioned. Well, 
obviously what happens is is that Gabriel pulls a gun into the sister's head, pulls the trigger, shoots her in the head, and starts to smother the mother. Well, what happens is next thing you know, throughout the movie, anytime Madison would start to see Gabriel at work, she'd be in a room and the room would start to change in front of her. Like, you could see all the walls changing and all that. Well, for Gabriel, the same thing was happening to him. And she, I don't know how, but somehow Madison was able to gain the capability of controlling Gabriel at this point. And basically said, you're now locked away and you may come back, but at least this time I'll be ready and locked him away in her mind or whatever. And so that's how she was able to defeat him. And now that little tumor that was popping out of her head was sewn by itself. The part that really bothered me was that the very end scene, she hugs it out with her sister and says that the, the reason she always wanted a child was she wanted to feel like she had some sort of blood relation with somebody. But she realizes that, hey, I've got my sister. Even though we're not blood, you, you are family. I'm sitting there like, your fucking biological mother is laying right there. <laughs> and she's alive. What the fuck? Well, but she doesn't have a relationship with her. But you wanted a blood relationship with somebody. Blood. 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 Yeah, but the mother never went out of her way to find a child. Because at the time, she couldn't take care of her. She never Remember, did. she was raped. Mm -hmm. at 15 years old and they said that her parents kicked her out because they were Christians oh you, you, you're against God's work so there was no way she was going to be able to take care of it she had no father figure to take care of it her parents were kicking her to the curb or not helping to take care of this child so she had to give this child up she was 15 she, 15 in 1985 I don't know if they had working papers then she wouldn't have been able to affordably take care of this child. She had to give it up. But I thought that what confused me, I thought the uh, Gabriel shot the sister in the head. Apparently. Or, or did he think that? Or he I don't thought that. That's that was a little confusing. Yeah, it didn't. They didn't make that clear. Because when, when she went back to the sister, I'm like, "Why are you going back to the sister? She's dead." And, and then the sister woke up. Oh, I'm like, "What the hell's going on? <laughs> You're supposed to be dead." <sighs> I don't know. It, what I felt like was at the very end when she's hugging the sister and the mother's just laying there watching and then it just hits the credit scene. I said to myself, why aren't they at least touching up on her and her mother? Like, do something there. Yeah, they could have had a scene of, you know, you want to rekindle this relationship? I don't know. Are you okay? You fine? No, no appearance from the, uh, the even the, the stepmother. Well, the stepmother's handicapped. Yeah, but it's like if the, the stepmother just completely disappeared from the script entirely. Well, well she had more scenes than I, than I thought she would have had because they went to the stepmother, they asked questions, and then the sister went to the Dracula's castle where uh, where the hospital was at. And, oh. and for some reason, out of all the places to park the car, she parks it right on the edge of the cliff. Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought there was going to be a scene when she's trying to escape Dracula's castle, and then, I don't know, like, the, whatever was chasing her was gonna, like, 
put the car, you know, into full ignition and she's gonna drive off the cliff or something. They 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 looked like they were teasing that. The way she parked that car. There was just too many uh, unanswered and and confusing moments in this film for me to call it a complete hit. It was very easy to watch. I'll leave it that, but I don't know. I was not too thrilled with so many like there were nuances or or details that were answered, and then there were certain things that just were like, eh, nobody's gonna give a shit. Who cares? Like, what? The mo- especially I think the blood mother is what really got to me because it's like. As much as she wasn't in the film all the time, her role is pretty significant because of the fact of her giving the child up is what set the events for later on. Gabriel losing his shit, having to suppress the tumor. Years of her not knowing uh, any of her biological uh, blood relatives. Her not knowing about Gabriel actually just being a tumor and just thinking it was an imaginary friend. You get it. The whole point is everything in turn is all due to the mother giving her up. Mm. And by the very end, after it's all suppressed, she's only giving attention to her sister, not to her biological mother. Like, literally, when you watch the scene, it's her talking to her sister. The mother is watching as it's all going down. And the final shot is a faraway shot of the sisters hugging and the mother looking there and then turning her head. So it's not like she's dead. She's watching as this is going on and then she cuts the credits. No dialogue. They're acting like as if she's like not even in the room. Well, I guess it establishes that uh, her daughter, her child that she gave up, found happiness within another family. So in a way, I guess the, the biological mother was satisfied. Even though she just nearly got killed. But I, I guess she knows that her, at least her daughter, her child, lived, grew, grew up to a happy family. So in a way, I guess she, she feels like, you know, she feels she's happy. In a way. I, I don't know. Uh, but it's like, at the end of the day, don't you want to establish maybe she wants to have some sort of relationship now with the daughter now that she actually does have her head on her shoulders because as it was shown from earlier she's a tourist guide yeah so she she seems like a good woman she definitely regrets what she did but she was in a very tough spot you know when she was when she was pregnant and when she had the child right i don't think she should she was 15 and it's not even like she slept with a dude and just got pregnant she got raped it's this was totally not her fault this was a situation where I think she did the right thing. If this was a real life scenario, if she was raped and she had the child, I think the child needed to be with somebody that could physically take care of her. A 15 year old who got raped, has no father figure and her parents aren't gonna help. Yeah, that was the right choice. Yeah, and she sold it to uh, this hospital who's known for taking care of children. They've they've done, uh, they separated children. So it's not like it's just like evil doctor person. And the doctor, I'm pretty sure the doctors, they had good intentions in caring for the the child. It's just that you had Gabriel. 
and she had an evilness attached to her. And who the fuck named it Gabriel? I'm still trying to help that out. <laughs> we'll go back to that. <laughs> Did the mother know that the, that that there was another uh, thing behind it? I guess I I guess she's. I think it was a matter of if I have a daughter, I'm gonna name it Emma or Emily, or if I have a son, I'm gonna name it Gabriel. Well, she got both. Fair enough. I'm trying to think of. I, I did like some of the camera work in the movie. I like the shot. I like the overhead shot of when uh, Madison's running through the house. You see her going up the stairs into the room. Mm-hmm. I thought that. I thought that was pretty cool how they did how they shot that. Um, James Wan's very good with the camera. He knows how to. He knows how to shoot a scene. There was a lot of good imagery. There was a lot of good action scenes and all that stuff. There, there was some good in this film. It's not a complete dud, based on our criticisms. It's not a dud. Oh no, it's not. That, I like the movie. I recommend it. Yeah. I mean, my again, as I mentioned, my biggest takeaway was the communication, how he did it with the radio and the uh, phone. Like that was never explained. Well, that. Yeah, they never explained how he was able to obtain these powers that he's got. Like, how did he become... Keep in mind, he's... It's one thing that he's able to communicate through Madison and, and be able to have her kill people. This fucking thing has the ability to kill a whole police squad. <laughs> what the fuck? This guy is untouchable able to like climb like spider-man through things yeah so never, never explained like i don't know is that wasn't explained they um yeah they never explained the the how he's able to communicate through radio how he's able to communicate through radio but then not at the end with the sister it was just to there were a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of answered questions, and a lot of unanswered questions, like half and half. There were certain things that I was satisfied got answered, but then others I'm just like still scratching my head, wondering what the fuck. It's like Roddy Piper, just when you think they get the answers, I just change the questions. So where where do you sit with this? Do you recommend it? Are you thumbs in the middle? I'm thumbs in the middle. It's a mixed bag. There's good to be had with this film but there's a lot of like what the fuck um i would say where would you rank this up upon the james wan films you've seen the upper tier you don't have to go in order like the upper or the bottom based on what i told you earlier it's definitely better than conjuring it's definitely better than insidious it's not better than saw okay I'm pretty honest. I'm pretty much on the same U-Bow. I'm not sure how I would rate his other movies. I gotta watch Insidious again. It's been a while. Um, it's one of his better films. I saw good. Uh, below Saw, I would say I'll probably be slightly above Conjuring and Insidious. Um, I, I thought it was better. It's better than Aquaman. I did not care for. I don't know why people. So many people like that movie. I I didn't get it. I don't get it. Um, I, I don't, obviously I didn't see Fast and Furious. I don't know eight or seven, whichever one he directed. It's like 10 of them, right? Yeah, it's like 10 or 11 or 15 of them at this point. Was it before or after Paul Walker unfortunately passed away? He did there, it. There, was, there was eight of them, then he died, and then they released like another nine. <laughs> really? There was 
Uh, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but I don't know how many. I'm pretty. I think they made ten or nine of them at this point. F nine. Paul Walker died in 2013, and the one that did the whole uh, where he's like fucking driving away. That was 2015. They had to use his brother for stock footage. And now it's all about family. It's been a long day. Sorry, I don't listen to that type of music, so I don't know the words. But overall, um, I recommend this film, uh, Malignant. It's currently on HBO Max. For those that have it, check it out. Uh, let Let us know what you think. And your thumbs in middle with this film. Yeah, Malignant, I did not find magnificent. Did you find any parts of it funny? Hmm. I'm looking at my wife right now. I don't know if we found any parts funny. I think uh, the videos that we were watching afterwards were funny. <laughs> that had nothing to do with Malignant, but not that I can recall. No. If it, if it was funny, I would have remembered it. I guess you and me have two different sides. <laughs> when it comes <laughs> to what we found funny or not. But, um, and I think that's going to do it for this episode. Episode 59 of Fractured Skulls, available for free on all audio platforms. For Monoxide, I'm Terminator Travis. We'll see you guys next time on episode 60 of Fractured Skulls. Take care, guys. Remember, free are the Canadian healthcare. And just remember, I'll be ready for you. They could have write a better closing line than that when she had Gabriel locked, you know, in the back of her mind. Specifically the one for this podcast. <laughs> but anyway, yep, that's it. We'll see you guys.